0: Duncan, are you there? Hello. Hey, Duncan. Hi there. We're finally ready. Thanks for your patience. No, no, thank you. Dennis will be right with us, and um, we'll get going as soon as we're ready. And actually, bizarrely enough, Uh Dennis had these plumbing problems, and... Right outside the window where I sit, they're hammering, but they just stopped. Okay. So, oh, great. the gods are with us um, and all that. I hope you're not being affected by the fires.
1: No, not in my, how about your part of town?
0: Is it... Uh... Well, we no where I am. Uh, I don't. I'm not even aware of it unless you know I check the news and all that. The uh, we're lucky, and uh, if the wind were blowing in a different way, we'd have smoke and ash and all that. But we don't have any right now. Right. It's kind of crazy. Um, Dennis, are you back? Oh well. I hope all is well with you, and the book is doing well.
1: Uh, yes, um, I'm continuing to, you know, meet up with um, different kind of Buddhist groups and uh, Japanese American communities, and then universities, and so yeah, things are continuing apace on um, on um, the kind of book talk. <laughs> hey, reading. Dennis, this is Duncan.
2: Duncan, very nice to meet you.
1: Hi, Dennis. Nice to meet you. Hey,
2: when, when were you in Cambridge at the School of Religion?
1: Let's see. Um, I was there from 1991 to 2000.
2: Oh, I was there from 99 to 2002. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, some overlap.
0: But yeah.
2: Anyway, um,
0: but you were not in the School of Religion.
2: No, I was in the Graduate School of Education, but... I wound up taking all my classes at the Kennedy School of Government, and uh, but I did have a lot of interaction. Do you know Alan Hotter? Does that name ring a bell?
1: Hmm, I'm trying to.
2: Th- he he might have been gone by then. He taught religion at at Hampshire College, but he got his PhD oh. at Harvard in in uh, uh, in, in uh, religion. So um, yeah, probably before then, probably before you were there. But anyway, right. where where are you located now? Are you in
1: I'm now in Los Angeles. Um, I'm at uh, USC in in LA.
2: Very good. So I just want to get every, make sure I have everything in front of me. Uh, and his uh, <clears> later <throat> So we want to focus on American Sutra: A Story of Faith and Freedom in the Second World War. His, yeah, uh, so and, that, the history, well, and the history
0: and the history of Buddhism and all that. Um, okay. Duncan, the right. um, the name Ryukan is it? yes do we do we say that um uh,
1: either way is fine so okay if you want to say it fine and it's no no big deal in either way
2: yes okay as long as i say it if i say it i want to say it correctly okay
0: Uh, if you say it once it's fine but we'll we'll refer to him as duncan so let's get started and we'll go uh 30 40 minutes and um uh Try not to have any extraneous noise or sound, like typing or crumbling papers, and um, we'll have we a good. We'll, yeah, we'll have a good time. Are you ready, Dennis?
2: Yeah, I just want to make sure I have uh, his book. Okay, the book. All right. All right. I'll um, give you
0: the countdown now.
2: Wait, wait. R- 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 say it again. Your the name.
1: Uh, do you? R Y U. It's like no, no.
2: no, s- no s- Duncan.
1: S- you
2: can. you can, or do I say the R?
1: Ryuken, yeah. You kind of put the Y in a little bit, yeah. You can, Ryuken. All right,
2: I just don't want to make it sound. All right, Phil,
0: okay, ready? Three, count. two, one, go.
2: This is Dennis from Monday. I'm here with my co host, Phil Goldberg. Uh, our guest today, Duncan Ryuken Williams. Uh, he was born in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, and has been studying and living in the United States for many years. He has his Ph.D. Uh, from Harvard in religion. Uh, he is, was the Buddhist chaplain at Harvard University from 1994 to 1996. He is an author. His latest book is American Sutra, A Story of Faith and Freedom in the Second World War. Uh, Duncan, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today.
1: Very glad to join you, uh, Dennis and Phil.
0: Duncan, uh, let's begin by uh, giving our listeners a sense of uh, your own spiritual history, uh, if you would, and um, how that led to uh, both your uh, academic position and your current book, American Sutra. Sure.
1: Um, You know, I grew up in Japan. Um, My mom was Japanese, and dad is uh, from the UK. And growing up, I grew up both as a uh, kind of going to Buddhist temple, but also uh, to, uh, because my dad's British, uh, the Church of England or the Anglican Church in Tokyo. And so I kind of grew up with both kind of bi-religiously, bi-lingually, bi-culturally. And I think at some point in my teenage years, uh, trying to figure out who I, who am I, kind of, you know, that kind of identity question. Um, I I was kind of drawn to Buddhism and its teachings of uh, kind of the middle way and embracing everything and being uh, interconnected with everything. It it, it gave me a kind of perspective that um, uh, made me pursue uh, the academic study of uh, the Buddhist uh, tradition, um, but also uh, when I was 21, ordained as a Soto Zen Buddhist priest in, in, uh, in Japan, in a, a place called Matsumoto uh, in Nagano Prefecture, Japan. Uh, so that was where um, my Soto Zen Buddhist teacher uh, ordained me as a priest. And so I've always had this kind of uh, uh, dual thing as well of being in the priestly world and, and doing things related to the Dharma that way but also uh, uh, trying to, you know, uh, do research and write books and uh, advance uh, scholarship uh, uh, in academia.
2: Okay. Uh, Duncan, I wanted to ask, and you mentioned, in in, I guess it was in 1993, you were ordained as a Buddhist priest in the Soto Zen tradition. Uh, What what does that entail? Uh, What was there, in, in other words, if somebody becomes a Catholic priest, a minister, sort of the Christian tradition, there's a certain... Uh, amount of study or they go through seminary or whatever, and then once they become, at least in the case of a Catholic priest, a priest, there are certain commitments that are made. In becoming ordained as a Buddhist priest, uh, what was the prerequisite, what was the study that needed to be done, and were there commitments going forward?
1: That's right. right. So um, In the Buddhist tradition, ordination means something a little bit different than in the Christian one. Mm Usually ordination is the beginning uh, of making a commitment to living, uh, you know, in the Buddhist uh, uh, pathway uh, for, you know, the years to come. Uh, in some traditions, uh, uh, it involves a certain kind of um, uh, monasticism uh, that uh, is a is a kind of separation from. Uh, kind of normal social things, but in Japanese Buddhist tradition, uh, generally speaking, uh, you can, for example, even get ordained when you're like a kid. Uh, so there's uh, uh, there's no commitment or training at the uh, that you have had to have gone through in the beginning, but when you become ordained, you shave your hair, you receive the Buddhist robes, and you kind of make a commitment to uh, studying the Buddhist path, studying... teachings of the buddha around wisdom practicing the buddhist teachings around uh, compassion and and kind of living an ethical life and that uh, when you put your robes on uh, it's a commitment to serving others Uh, when my buddhist teacher first ordained me he 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 told me you know when you put your robes on you are signaling to everyone else uh, how can i help you and so are you willing to be a buddhist priest and when I said yes, he also said, you know, when you become a Buddhist priest, you will have no more holidays. And then uh, he explained to me that, you know, everybody else around uh, the New Year, you know, it's a holiday. But for Japanese Buddhist priests, it's the most busy time of the year. Or in the summertime, uh, we have a thing called Obon. It's the largest festival that we have in the Buddhist tradition. And he's like, when you become a priest, you, you will have no more holidays. So you, are you still willing to be a Buddhist priest? And being a young man at that time, I was like, I, I'm, I'm committed. I would li- still like to be a Buddhist priest. And he said, in that case, you have to make every day a holiday. And wh- what he meant by that was that, you know, every day is a kind of opportunity to uh, practice. Uh, but also, unlike the Christian tradition, which, let's say, has Sunday as a kind of holy day or a kind of like a sacred day that you mark off from the rest of your time, in, in, a, in a certain way, uh you uh, in the buddhist tradition there is no kind of set aside date uh, but every day becomes this uh, uh commitment to to practice buddhism so that's what uh ordination mm-hmm. meant at least in my tradition
0: uh duncan uh before we get into the uh specific content of of uh your new book uh, which focuses on the uh, internment camps for the Japanese during the war um, i I'd like to explore more with with you because of your uh, uh expertise uh the nature of uh Buddhism in america um, and the and other distinctions uh, most people when they think of Buddhism in america uh if they think about Zen they think about you know the the beatniks of the nineteen fifties and uh, perhaps one of the Suzuki's, who who were prominent at the time. Uh, or they think of more modern Buddhism, like uh, the uh, Vipassana teachers, Jack Kornfeld and the others. Um, but all along, there's been immigrants from Asia practicing quietly their own Buddhism in America. And that's different, isn't it?
1: That's right. Um, uh, American Buddhism has over 120 years of, of history, uh, you know, starting really with the migration of the Chinese to uh, the Americas and followed very quickly by the Japanese in, the, in 1868, um, the first group of uh, Japanese uh, land in, in the Hawaiian Islands, and uh, the next year on the um, in the North American continental United States, and so you find waves of uh, Buddhists kind of settling, uh, you know, uh, on the Hawaiian Islands, on on the west coast of the United States, uh, being the pioneers in bringing uh, the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist uh, uh, institution, and and its practices to to the American um, uh, religious and cultural landscape. So. It, it, it's a tradition that's certainly been around uh, for over a century. And uh, some of those uh, early teachers, uh, like Shunryu Suzuki, who founded um, San Francisco Zen Center, or uh, Maizumi Taizan Aroshi, the person who founded Zen Center of Los Angeles, uh, those people, prior to opening up those new Zen Buddhist centers that, as you mentioned, uh uh, found an audience with people in the counterculture of that time. Uh, they were, you know, pr- previous to that, serving uh, historically Japanese American immigrant temples, and so, uh, you know, yeah, with all of these uh, uh, traditions, uh, th- there's a, a long history and and uh, involvement of Asian Americans in the rooting of Buddhism in America.
2: <clears throat> Doug, in your book, American Sutra, A Story of Faith and Freedom in the, uh, in the Second World War. And you, 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 you are talking also about the internment camps during that period. For our listeners, and I'm going to guess majority of our listeners under 40, probably under 50, may not be familiar with the internment camps. It's a, I, I consider it a dark period in American uh, politics uh, w- w- the war was going on that made it an excuse for a lot of things, but certainly what happened to japanese Americans was unforgivable and <clears throat> Give us a little background on that for those not familiar with that period and also what what was what is the message what would you like to be, get people to get from your book
1: sure so uh, the this period in ja- in american history um, uh, during World War two I think you know it, as you mentioned is Known to some extent um, uh, that uh, there were a group of people, um, 120,000 persons of Japanese ancestry, two-thirds of them who were U.S. citizens, uh, who after uh, the Japanese Imperial Navy's attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, in the month uh, and a half that followed, uh, there was not only the roundup of, of uh, leaders in the japanese American community, but ultimately the forced removal and mass incarceration of one hundred and twenty thousand people uh, and as I said, most of these people were you know American citizens whose uh, parents or grandparents came from Japan uh, but uh, um, it's a community that was you know majority Buddhist, and uh, one of the things that uh, I would come to learn in the research and writing of this book um, was that it wasn't just about race, because I think when people think about World War II and, you know, the United States also being at war with Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, and people ask the question, why wasn't there a mass roundup of, you know, the entire German American community, the entire uh, Italian American community, um, why was only the Japanese-American community targeted in such a way? Most people answer that question with the idea of, you know, they were a racially different group than the majority of Americans at that time, and that racial animus and prejudice of that time uh, played a factor into why that happened. And what I talk about in the book is how it, wa- how it wasn't just race, but it was the fact that they were, you know, not Christian that the majority of the community was Buddhist, that that's what actually targeted uh, this community. And that even before Pearl Harbor, uh, in the decades of the 1930s and into 1940 and 41, uh, the FBI, as well as the military intelligence, were uh, surveying uh, Buddhist temples, uh, making lists and registries of Buddhist priests as uh, people to be arrested in case of war with Japan, and seeing Buddhism as a as a threatening a threat to national security as opposed to Christianity, those Japanese Americans who had converted to Christianity and so uh, it wasn 't just race but it was religious animus that that uh, governed uh, why this event uh, took place and what I talk about in the book is not just why it happened and why religion or Buddhism mattered. But about how the very thing that put them in camp, that Buddhism, was also what helped people uh, when they were taken to these camps in the remote interiors of places like uh, uh, Wyoming and Arkansas and, and so forth. When they were moved to these remote interior camps surrounded by barbed wire and armed guards, uh, that they were, um, you know, in that moment of dislocation and loss. They, they turned to their faith, their Buddhist faith, to, to sustain them, to help them persist. And so the kind of big point of the book is, A, Buddhism was what put them in camp, but B, Buddhism was also what helped them survive this very difficult uh, circumstance.
0: Uh, but, uh, Duncan, uh, going back to the uh, Buddhism as a factor in the internment, Two questions. One, there were non-Japanese Buddhists in America in the 30s and 40s. Did they, were they spied upon, were they considered a threat, or was it the combination of being non-Christian and also Japanese, uh, the, the, you know, sort of combined factor uh, in in that? And, um, well, let's start with that. Sure uh yes it, it,
1: it, in the main uh those who were investigated targeted surveilled and ultimately uh picked up on December 7th and the weeks that followed uh were uh picked up because of their race and religion so it, it was a combination of conflating those two things um and america has had a long history of that right like the first immigration act the federal law that you know defined who could enter and not enter the United States was in 1882 with the Chinese Exclusion Act, mm-hmm. and that targeted one particular group of people called the Chinese and disallowed them from entering the United States, not only because of their race, but in the Senate testimony at the time, they would also talk and use this slur word, that the heathen chini, meaning mm-hmm. the, the Chinese were racially unassimilable, but also religiously unassimilable because they were not Christian. And so that idea was certainly at the background as to who was targeted. Uh, The one exception uh, of people I saw, someone I saw on an FBI list uh, who was investigated, surveilled, and ultimately on a list for a while of somebody that could potentially be picked up who was not Japanese-American was somebody called Reverend Ernest Hunt. He had been serving the Japanese-American historic temple in Honolulu as one of the very few Uh, You know, non-Japanese, a white convert Buddhist priest, and he was on the um, uh, on on these registries and under under surveillance as well.
0: Can I follow up, Dennis? Go go ahead. Um, The uh, Chinese Exclusion Act eventually evolved into uh, excluding all Asians or all all non-Caucasians, actually, and and from citizenship. and I'm wondering about the, what, was there something specifically about Buddhism that was felt to be threatening uh, to, to the, uh, what they would have thought of as a Christian country? Uh, because there were Jewish immigrants at the same time, um, but that's a sort of kinship, <laughs> uh, a religion that's Uh, has some association with with Christianity or was it basically the same kind of prejudice?
1: Right. So that's a great question. You know, I I, I make an argument in the book that uh, uh, this idea of one vision of America that is a kind of white and Christian nation uh, versus a vision of America that is a multi-ethnic and religiously free nation, that these are two competing visions that Mm. Uh, of America that has been around since the time of the founders uh, through periods like the late late 19th century and into World War II, and these are at play. But as you uh, kind of rightly noted, uh, what constitutes whiteness and what constitutes uh, uh, initially a Protestant nation versus a Christian nation versus a Judeo-Christian nation, uh, these circles of inclusion of who belongs Uh, Does change over time. And so, uh, whether it's Jews or uh, Irish American Catholics, uh, or Irish uh, American Catholics, there were certainly times even uh, before World War II, uh, including the 1924 Immigration and Naturalization Act, that was the key to the complete uh, uh, kind of shutout of all Asian immigration, but also targeted uh, uh, Eastern European. Uh, people from entering the United States, and that was in in part linked to uh, a certain kind of anti-Semitism, and and certainly Catholicism uh, has had its own challenges uh, mm-hmm. in terms of being included in uh, both um, uh, this question of uh, a Christian nation versus a Protestant nation, uh, mm-hmm. but also um, you know with the Irish in particular, whether to consider the Irish as white or not, yeah. and so there are these kind of interesting histories of uh, ways in which it's easier to, as you were noting, build on things that have kinship. And so it's easier to, if you presume a Anglo-Protestant center, to have uh, things that are uh, are nearby cousins, in, both in terms of race and in terms of uh, religion, to be included. And what Buddhism represents, especially Asian-American Buddhism, uh, is, it doesn't have anything to do with the monotheisms of of the West and is therefore much harder to integrate in terms of of, uh, religion, but also with Asians in terms of race. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: Duncan, uh, we're doing this interview, by the way, those listening sometime into the future in October, 2019. And and it seems to me that one of the big uh, divides in in the United States now uh, uh, the divide uh, is between those folks that want, a, let's use the term, Judeo-Christian nation, and, and those that uh, and want that nation, that Judeo-Christian tradition, or those Judeo-Christian people to be uh, uh, dominant, and, and uh, uh, those that are open to it being more multicultural, more multi-religious, uh, uh, and, and not uh, having one religion, or in this case, where they combine Judaism and Christianity into uh, you know, the, the term Judeo-Christian. Uh, so they're, they're, that battle is going on, and, and I think it's at, at the core of a lot of the problems that are taking place in the United States now. And there are some that would say Judeo-Christian white nation, uh, but let's just stick with the religious part of it. Uh, what is your feeling uh, on that?
1: Well, uh, certainly that's... Uh uh, unfortunately, you know, there's a. I feel like American history suggests that there is always a pendulum uh, where we swing from one vision of the nation as a uh, white Judeo Christian nation now or uh, a multi ethnic and uh, religiously free or multiple, multi- uh, religiously plural nation uh, on the other. And I think what Buddhism brings to the table is that it has its own. Kind of like theology, uh, as it were, or doctrinal perspective that that uh, prefers multiplicity, prefers pluralism in terms of theological stances, uh, that therefore says you know multiplicity is normal um, uh, so it, 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 it certainly feeds into uh, i think a, na- a vision of a, an America uh, that is multiple and this is one of the reasons why I, I suggest in the book that what these Buddhists were doing, these Japanese American Buddhists in the midst of war, in the in the middle of these desert, you know, locations where these camps were located, uh, when they were asserting their right to practice freely their religion and say we can be both Buddhist and American at the same time, they were actually, you know, bringing that pendulum. Uh, two words of vision of America that uh, uh, would be, in fact, pluralistic and and multiple in character.
2: Mm-hmm. But if I could follow up, Phil. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but, but for yourself, for other Americans you know, is there a fear that that uh, you could be further marginalized because of the current thinking of a of a, a Judeo Christian America and uh, and the thought of Many Japanese, many uh, Asians or, uh coming in who are Buddhist, uh, overwhelming that Judeo-Christian dominance. Uh, I have to think. I mean, it's a concern that I have, uh, and I, I, I'm agnostic. I I don't really associate with any religion now. Uh, but we're but sending I
0: thinking, back the Italians, Dennis.
2: Yeah. Look, well, my family <laughs> from Italy. Yeah, and that was always a question: Why did <laughs> Italian Americans get put in internment camps? You mentioned that, but but uh, let, let's look at this now. Uh, I would think it's a major—if I, I were a Buddhist, it would be a major concern if I were a Hindu, if I were anything other than a Jewish or Christian. And even if I was a Jewish, I would be concerned, because I think that was a, a token thing, creating this Judeo-Christian uh, 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 term. But anyway, I'm, I'm just wondering if there is a, a concern in the Buddhist community and if anything is being done, or lobbyists or politicians that are being approached so that, uh, that one, one feels protected moving into the future.
1: You know, I think uh, uh, given that today we have everything from mindfulness at Google to uh, Oprah Winfrey interviewing Pema Chodron and, and and Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama, like we're in a very different moment uh, in where American Buddhism is today compared to, uh, you know, uh, what's really a generation and a half ago. So a lot can change in in just a generation or two. And I think one of the things that Japanese-American Buddhists and Asian-American Buddhists, uh, uh, while they are very cognizant of this history and, 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 uh, and how history sometimes repeats itself because of that pendulum, uh, today what, what we find is instead of Asian-American Buddhists being concerned uh, and having fear about belonging uh, for themselves, I think what we find is you find many Buddhist people speaking up for, for example, you know, what's happening at the southern border with uh, children being separated from their families uh, because of some idea of who belongs and who doesn't uh, around race on the southern border, or speaking up for, uh, you know, people in the Muslim American community who, through the travel ban or other things, uh, have been made to fear, as you mentioned, this... uh, fear of not belonging in America. And so I think uh, where we are today as American Buddhists, we have the opportunity to, in some sense, because of the ability to stand up to that fear from back then, to find ways to support other communities that are of different racial or religious uh, backgrounds today, who are unfortunately experiencing some of the similar Kinds of uh, exclusions of back then.
0: Interesting, uh, Duncan. I'd like to uh, get back to a question I, I sort of alluded to earlier. Um, are there significant differences between the Zen that is practiced in the Japanese community at a you know a, a, a temple or a a, a, a Zen's a uh, facility for uh people of japanese descent and what you might see in a, a dojo um uh, that's mainly frequented by um people of european descent people who get interested in zen uh as as you know the people like Allen ginsberg and others did in the 60s are there differences would you would you notice other than the you know the uh, appearance of the people inside, would you notice a difference? Right. I think um, in more recent times, those
1: uh, distinctions and differences have started to fade away. Uh, in the following sense, uh, Zen temples that are historically Japanese American, you know, uh, immigrant-founded uh, uh, and based uh, Zen temples have always had. Um, you know, a variety, a multiplicity of uh, things around the temple serving as a place of religious teaching, learning, practice, uh, including, you know, of Zen uh, meditation practice, uh, which is why, you know, San Francisco Zen Center of Los Angeles, Zen Center of Los Angeles, two big, two largest of the um, so-called Zen centers in America, and a lot of, you know, there are about 700 Zen centers in the United States right now, and many of them are derived from those two places, um, that those were founded by teachers that were originally based at the immigrant temples. But initially at those Zen centers, as you kind of noted, uh, there was a a tendency to have uh, people who were sympathizers or converts to particular uh, forms of Zen Buddhism that focused primarily on Zen meditation and there was, for example, less ceremony
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and ritual uh, done at these Zen centers compared to the Japanese American Zen uh, temples. Less um, focus on community. Um, uh, in terms of, like, uh, at a you know Japanese American Zen temple, you have a lot of things around building community, dealing with families, dealing with multi-generational families. And I think originally Zen Buddhism in America was very much uh, individualized, kind of privatized, Mm. interiorized practice that didn't really have much of a Sangha or a Buddhist community feeling to it. Uh, But I say that this has changed in recent times, A, because a lot of Zen centers have become much more multi-ethnic, a lot more Asian Americans at these Zen centers, a lot more Black and Latinx people. So it's not just one kind of uh, uh, convert uh, type, but um, it's also become much more uh, uh, community oriented, in part because when these places first began in the 70s and uh, into the 80s and so forth, they were like, Individuals searching for enlightenment by themselves, and now you know those that generation of people. A uh, have had you know marriages, families, kids, and yet, uh, and and you know, and also passing away. So you have to think about what kind of ceremonies do you need for funerals and memorial services? <clears throat> How do you raise kids in the Dharma and have like Dharma education for kids or Dharma camp and things like that? So a lot more Zen centers are looking like traditional Japanese-Americans and temples uh, that have a lot more of those kind of uh, elements that are beyond just the practice of, you know, uh, meditation.
0: Can I ask another question, Dennis? Phil. I was going to say we should wrap it up and go ahead. Yeah, but one more question. question. Uh, Is there uh, most people think of Buddhism, especially Zen, as Mm -hmm. not having any uh, devotional uh, component or uh, ritual component. Um, and that I would think is one of the differences you might see in a, you know in the Zen Center and you know of uh, 1960 and, and uh, Japanese Center, but also between uh, you know Zen and other f- other forms of uh, Buddhism that took root in different Asian countries. C- can you speak to that? Is there an, a devotional element to Zen uh, that people are less aware of? Yes, I wrote a other
1: book, whole other book called "The Other Side of Zen." Ah. Um, uh, that was uh, published back in 2004 from Princeton. Uh, that 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 goes into how there's been a you know basic misunderstanding of what is Zen uh, because of you know skewed understandings of what um, uh, constitutes uh, what what goes on in a temple in Japan. Uh, both historically and into the modern times, Uh, Zen actually has many, many elements that are highly ritualistic, uh, highly ceremonial, uh, with many aspects of uh, engagement in social as well as even political life. Mm. Uh, And that's the history of Zen in in Japan from its, uh, you know, from uh, in the Soto Zen tradition from the thirteenth century onward, mm. and so uh, there 's a kind of skewed understanding of Zen as a kind of privatized psycholog- psychological kind of uh, practice of meditation that uh, uh, I think in time has uh, been you know, debunked and and, and not uh, uh, not uh, uh, emulated uh, anymore and so I think even at these Zen centers, you do find. Um, much more attention to uh, both the social and community aspects of, of what a temple life looks like, but also uh, theologically, doctrinally, as well as in terms of practice, having much more of a multitude of uh, ways to uh, yeah, uh, in, engage in, on a ritual devotional uh, level as well.
2: Duncan, okay, uh, thank you so much. Again, for our listeners, the, the book American Sutra, A Story of Faith and Freedom in the Second World War, Harvard University Press. And I also want to mention that uh, that book got up to number three on the L.A. Times bestseller list for nonfiction. A great accomplishment. Congratulations. But uh, I I think a very important book. I plan on reading it because I think it's very important that people uh, uh, today, especially younger people that might not be familiar with that period of time and what took place, uh, to, to uh, Japanese-Americans uh, should know about it. And, and from this perspective, I, I think it would be very enlightening, very good good to know. So uh, I highly encourage that. Phil, any final words?
0: Um, I'm tempted to uh, emulate uh, The Daily Show and say, here it is, your moment of zen. But um, I'll refrain. How do you uh, – there is a question. How do you feel about the sort of popular – idea of Zen, you know, as in the, you know, the moment of Zen and other kind of uh, cliches that have come down over the year. How do people in the Japanese community feel about Great that? Good question, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I think uh, uh, to the extent that um, those type of, say, naturalization or normalization of uh, of Buddhist words or you know, it could be Zen, it could be Nirvana, it could be uh, Dharma, it could be, uh, you know, what, whatever you want to, uh, you know, there are ways in which, uh, you know, those terms are sometimes so removed from uh, its context and so, um, you know, Zen perfume or Zen, you know, that, that it becomes kind of meaningless. But at the same time, I think there is some recognition that, you uh, it's better than being on an FBI list. <laughs> but it's better you know, than, than being put in a remote <coughs> camp. Yeah. And so, while I think there is some concern about uh, you know our people misunderstanding uh, you know, our tradition because of these kind of usages, uh, I think that's a that's a legitimate and real concern. Uh, I do think that uh, given the history, uh, I think that anything that uh, brings Buddhism into Uh, the American, you know, religious and cultural landscape into the mainstream is generally welcomed. And then, uh, you know, from there, I think as Buddhists, we try to invite people to learn more, to go deeper, to take some of these uh, uh, initial impressions, uh, but to learn, you know, a little bit uh, more. And and, 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 uh, we always, we're not an evangelical religion. So we don't aren't pushy about it but we we do uh welcome and invite people to to come and learn more and so that's i think our approach
0: very good thank you so much for giving us the time duncan and um all the best with the with the book thank you so much phil thank you so much dennis thank you bye